Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. those of you that may be uh, visiting or haven't been with us for a few weeks, we are continuing on our sermon series through Paul's letter to the Colossians, and last week we arrived at chapter 3, and chapter 3 begins with, so, and basically what it's doing is it's moving from the first two chapters where Paul was addressing their faith and what had been known about them, and then some of the challenges that they had been facing because of a heresy that had broken out in Colossae. And so what Paul does at this point in chapter 3 is he takes what he had said about, this is the foundation of your faith, this is who Jesus Christ is, this is why he came, this is what we believe as Christians, then in chapters 3 and 4 he applies it to our lives. So last week we read, so, and we read, clothe yourselves and take off, taking off the old life, Clothing yourself with the new life. This is what it means to walk with Christ. So that's where we've come in the last seven weeks. And now we've arrived at the second part of Colossians chapter 3. And the so, if you will, continues. And particularly, what Paul is addressing here is the Christian household. That is to say, now that we've given our lives to Christ... Now that we know who Jesus is and the fact that He died for us, for our sin, and we call Him Savior and Lord, and He's the Lord of our lives, what does our household look like? Our marriages, our children, our families. And what happens out there in the world? And Paul actually addresses this several times in the course of his letters. If you were to look in Corinthians, and you were to look in Ephesians, and you were to look at his letter to Timothy, you would see over and over again he addresses this issue of the Christian household and what the household is meant to look like. If you look at Peter's letters, you would see the same thing. If you look at John's letters, you would see the same thing. What was beginning to happen as the gospel was spreading, as people's lives were beginning to be touched with the gospel, there would be an obvious impact in the personal home and the church family that would challenge the values of the world around, what the culture looked like. Let me give you an example. If you were to look at your reading from Colossians in your bulletin, you would see things that are expected because of the culture and things that are surprising because of the culture. Look, for example, in the first verse, wives be subject to your husbands. Now, first of all, Paul gets a bad rap for that. We'll talk about that in a second. Because I think people misread Paul and they misunderstand what's going on. But here's the surprise. 
You know, see, for those of us that are reading this, we read that first part and we react to it. It's negative. The culture back then was completely different. So wives be subject to your husbands. Everybody's saying, well, yeah, that's the way it should be. And then you get the husbands love your wives and never treat them harshly. The men back then would be saying, what? Are you kidding me? I can't do that? See, because women were second-class citizens, they were property. So we're surprised by the first part because of our culture. Back then, they would be surprised by the second part. Interesting. Let's read on. Children, obey your parents and everything. Well, once again, they'd be saying, of course, that's true. And then you see, and yeah, like it happens. And then you see, fathers, do not provoke your children. Once again, the culture back then would be saying, what? What do you mean? I entreat my children any way I want to. By the way, the word provoke means stir desire. We'll get to that in a minute. And then you get to verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Well, once again, everybody would be saying, well, yeah, I mean, that's normative. And then you get to 4.1, chapter 4, verse 1, and you see, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly. They're property. I own them. I can treat them how I want. What do you mean justly and fairly? They're not like people or anything. See how back then the culture is different than the culture today. And therefore we read this scripture through glasses that are different. And we really need to understand what is being said. Now, with that in mind, think about what Jesus said. Let your light shine. Now, if we understand that we have this new life in Christ, that the Holy Spirit now dwells in us and is changing us, and thereby having an impact on our households, our families, the world around us, then we should be letting that shine forth because that's what's going to change the culture. That's what's going to change the culture. As we begin to live it, see, and so many people don't do it. They compromise whether it be an internal compromise because they want to live lives the way they want to live it or because they want to fit into the world, they compromise. And people have every intention, good intentions, of living a godly Christian life, walking with the Lord. But see, sometimes that initial reaction of understanding the gospel and Jesus loves you and he died on the cross for you and you have that immediate impact, it's an emotional response that doesn't penetrate. Or maybe you're one of those who made a deal with God. God, if you do this for me, I'm going to try to walk with you. Well, that doesn't last long either. And then if you've got this kind of intellectual understanding of the faith that really has taken no hold in your mind, in your heart, in your willful living, then it's not going to go anywhere. See, this needs to be a radical transformation. And as you read the Scriptures and you read what Jesus said, what Paul wrote, what the other epistle writers wrote, there's a total transformation in the household between husbands and wives and parents and children and sexual relationships and how we deal with employers, employees, because that's really how I think about this passage about slaves. It's a total reorientation. It's a radical 
change of who we are. And I don't care if the radical change for you is slow or whether it's fast. Whether you're like the tortoise or the hare, it doesn't matter. The reality is, is that you change every day and you never stop. You never stop changing. Because really, Scripture talks about how we are to become mature, Ephesians chapter 4, in Christ as we grow up into the head. As we become Christ-like, and that's not going to happen until you die. So there's really no retirement in this life in terms of, I don't need to serve the Lord anymore, or I don't need to do it this way, or I've got my own way of doing it. No, it's not that way. The retirement plan is great, but it's heaven. Okay? That's it. You never stop growing. You never stop serving. You know, it, it, it's really interesting. I don't know how many of you saw this. I never watched the show, by the way. Never. Until it got to the final episode. September 29th, Breaking Bad. Do you all remember hearing How many of you watched Breaking Bad? Not many. We had more at the 8 o'clock. You know, but it's funny because... When I said, Meredith and and Aaron and I were sitting around talking, and I said, you know, I might watch the final episode of Breaking Bad. Aaron immediately says, you can't. I said, why not? He said, because you haven't seen it. I said, it doesn't matter. He said, no, it does. You've got to know what's going on. And I said, well, I've seen all the previews. I know what's going on. He said, no, you don't. I watched it anyway. And it's really interesting because if you see all the advertisements, for the show. You really do get a sense of what's going on. But I, I need to read something else to you. This is from the September 28th issue of The Economist. Right as the show was ending, this came out. And let me read to you. I think it's a great article. Second paragraph, it reads, The Hero. Now think about that. The hero. This guy cooks meth and deals meth. The article calls him the hero. Think about that. And how many people on the one side knew he was bad? This whole idea of breaking bad. But on the other side, people are rooting for him. What's that about? Let me read on. Walter White is a high school chemistry teacher with a second job in a car wash when he is diagnosed with cancer. In other words, he's a good guy. He's a good American. Probably believes in God and everything. And then all of a sudden he has his crisis. He's diagnosed with cancer. And it's not a good diagnosis. He's going to die. What does he do? He turns sideways. That's what the whole idea of breaking bad is. He starts to lead this life that spirals downward. You know, crisis really oftentimes leads us closer to the Lord so that we want to walk with Him because we recognize we need Him. That doesn't happen 
all the time. What happens sometimes when we're in a crisis, whether it be emotional, whether it be physical, whether it be familial, is we turn away from the Lord. And we turn away from the call that He has on our lives. Let me read on. He's talking about the business that he's involved in. A business big enough that it could be listed on NASDAQ. Does that tell you anything about the meth business? The drug business in our country? Oh, we don't have a drug problem. Are you kidding me? Like so many before him becomes the victim of compromises that he has made in his entrepreneurial salad days. He's now mixing up his life as he's mixing up meth. And he's compromising as it spirals downward. What happens when we begin to walk away from the Lord? We spiral. We make bad decision after bad decision. We lie to cover it up. See, but that's the way of the world. Lying and cheating is okay if you get away with it. Make money even if it's a little dishonest is okay. As long as we're successful and nobody catches us. Compromises on our family. Let me read on. He is not in the meth business or even the money business. He's in the empire business. He's building an empire for himself. See, that's what everybody does. They build their own little personal empires, whatever the size. And do whatever you need to do to do it. Even if that means compromise on your worship and giving to the Lord. doesn't matter. It's about building my empire. He becomes obsessed. Later on, Breaking Bad is even sharper on the forces of destruction in business. Mr. White's relationship with his partner falls apart. See, relationships are secondary. See, when we understand the gospel, it's the exact opposite. The gospel is about relationships. It's my relationship with the Lord and how that impacts my relationship with my spouse and how that impacts my relationship with my children and family and how that impacts my relationship on my friends and then out into the world. His relationships begin to fall apart. Here is a great line. His work-life balance is complicated by his reluctance to tell his wife he has become a meth dealer. Imagine that. Mr. White is even typical in telling himself the big lie that he's doing everything he does for his family. What a great guy. You know, he's dying, so he wants to leave them with a lot of money. When in reality, his son doesn't want to even have a relationship with him, and his wife is separated from him because he's gone so bad. That's what happens. Mr. White's biggest failing is also a common one in business. Hubris. Pride. The more rules he breaks, the more righteous he feels. Oh, there we go. We can justify anything. And the more wealth he accumulates, the more he wants. Instead of the more he gives. There's no shortage of corporate examples from Enron to Olympus. Walter White is 
A thoroughly odd character, Mr. Chips turned star Scarface. Is that a great line? Mr. Chips turned Scarface. But he also holds a worrying mirror to the business world. Great final line, too. This article points out that what happens when we compromise? What happens when we live for ourselves and our own values? We're doing it for the right reasons, we think. But really what ends up happening is we end up destroying our own lives, our families. We end up not really being a witness to the Lord or seeking to walk with Him at all. Maybe we play a little with religion and belief in God. See, whereas when you understand the gospel and the impact of the gospel and what it's meant to be, it's meant to be a total transformation that takes hold in your life and it's pervasive. Let's look at the passage before us. The first section, wives be subject to your husbands, husband love your wives and never treat them harshly, has to do with spouses, relationships. You know, there's this mutual love. There's this mutual caring. There's this mutual respect. But you see, we automatically react to this Wives, be submissive to your husbands, and we can't really hear what's being said. If you turn to Ephesians 5 that has the same passage and idea to it, it's basically saying, this is what it's meant to look like with wa to walk with Christ. That we're both mutually submitted to Him. I tell people in premarital counseling, I tell them in marital counseling if I can get them in there, I sometimes use this in a sermon when I'm doing a wedding. If husbands loved their wives like Christ loved the church, we wouldn't have much complaining because he laid down his life, because he served. And if wives loved their husbands with the respect and the honoring, I don't think we'd have many marriages in trouble. See, because when we really understand that first and foremost, we're walking with Christ. And therefore, we understand submission, and we understand service, and we understand agape love, self-sacrificial love. And that's what's meant to be in a marriage relationship. How would transform the households the relationships, how we treat one another, how we care for one another. Obviously, it takes work. And it takes forgiveness. But there's a constancy about it because life is ever-evolving and changing in the household. So the Christian household, if you will, begins in the most essential relationship in the household. The marriage of husband and wife, if you're married. Secondly, children and parenting. Let's look at that next. 
we see here, children obey your parents in everything. Well, we know that's a challenge. In everything. See, but there's an assumption here. The assumption is, is that the parent is walking with the Lord. The assumption is, is that we're mutually seeking to follow Christ. And therefore, there's going to be that same idea of respect and honoring. And because the parent is walking with the Lord, obedience, because they're just being the Lord's mouthpiece in this situation, hopefully. See, unfortunately, sometimes parents do the do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do deal. You know what I mean by that? And that infects families. When you live that way. You know, I tell parents in baptismal counseling, and I sometimes get into it in premarital counseling, what you do for yourself is what's going to stick for your kids. How you live yourself is what's going to stick for your kids. If your kids leave the house... And you say, great, we don't have to go to church. Is that really about your own hunger and thirst for the Lord? Or is that about making sure your kids are good kids, moral kids? Do you submit to authority? Or do you model rebellion? Do you model secrets and lies? or truth and integrity. See, there's all kinds of questions you can ask yourself, but it begins with your own walk with the Lord because if you're not walking with the Lord and you're not modeling that for your family, how can you impart that? If you're doing it for the kids, it's the wrong motivation. What's happened in our culture too often is we are living for the kids. And the kids begin to rule the house. It's modeled on TV, actually. The kids are the smart ones. The parents are the dumb ones. We are to be the parents. We're to love our children and raise them up in the Lord. That's what we're called to do. It says, do not provoke your children. Stir up desire. That's what provoke means. We so often associate provoke with anger. And actually that is often the result of provocation, right? But it's really stirring up desire. You know what I want to do with my children? I want to, if you will, provoke them to want to live a godly life. I want to stir up that desire. See, the household, as it begins to grow in the Lord, first the individual making the commitment, then the couple making the commitment, then the children understanding the commitment. And there's mutual love and there's mutual respect and there's mutual honoring. I realize I'm painting a really nice picture. And it's not reality. Because we're all sinners. But it's the goal. See, if you don't have a goal for that, you're never going to grow towards that. Because we say we love Him. Because we say we understand the gospel.
Okay. Let's get to this third section. Verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And then 4.1, masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly. I want to put that in the category of employer and employee for us because, again, you need to understand the context. I talked about this years ago when I talked about the epistle to Peter, from Peter, the epistle of Peter, and talked about how that looks and what tack the the church took with slaves and slavery during this time is first and foremost you need to understand slavery from an Old Testament perspective. It was never meant to be permanent unless the slave volunteered to become a permanent slave. It was always meant to be a temporary situation like welfare and food stamps are meant to be temporary situations to get you on your feet. That's what they're meant to be. Unemployment. That's what slavery was really all about if you understand the Old Testament. So it was a way of helping people out. Unfortunately, it became abusive, a way of taking advantage of people, abusing people, and then mistreating people because you own them. And in the Roman Empire, which is by and large more secular than simply the Jews, you've got tens of, if not hundreds of, millions slaves. So if Paul were to write, slaves just need to be free in Christ and therefore free people... You would have had chaos, chaos, rebellion, and probably slaughter of slaves. So the tack the early church took was to write for a change in relationships. And as the change in relationships happened, it would change the whole idea and notion of slavery. Read the, Paul's letter to Philemon. You understand that they're to be brothers in Christ. And when there's, there's brothers in Christ, you don't want to oppress or hold down, or own anyone. So that's what they were trying to do, and over time, it eventually would work. It takes time for these things to happen, for it to be pervasive, for it to even penetrate the secular mindset and politics and laws. But translation to today, employers and employees, if you're an employee, you want to be honest and don't cheat and don't lie on the job. Don't steal. Give an honest day's work. Do everything as unto the Lord, as Paul writes. If you're an employer, you treat whoever is under you, we use that term, with respect and dignity and care and compassion. Everybody is a person. We just serve different roles. And we're trying to move forward for the, for the sake of the business, but even more ultimately for the sake of the kingdom. See, as this household transformation began to pervade, because Paul's writing these letters and the scriptures are taking hold in lives, what began to happen is what ended up happening, causing, at least in part, the Roman Empire to be transformed. Over time. And that's what's meant to happen here, in our country. But if we are constantly compromising, if we're not, as Jesus said in Luke 8, letting our light shine, if we're not living it in our homes and in this church family, we will not change the culture. And what will happen is the culture will continue to break bad. The only way that this culture is going to break good 
is if we make a difference. We together, in our homes and families, in our church, as we begin to take it to the world. Over time, it takes time. If you have a a lawn service, how do you treat your employees? If you have someone who takes care of your house, how do you treat them? Someone who comes and works. When you go to a restaurant, when you go to a business, how do you treat people? When you have any dealings with people, how do you treat people? When you're going out, do you overdrink? I mean, we can look at every area of your life and say, are you seeking to live a Christ-like life? And by the way, you can't do it on your own. Because we need the gospel. We need this genuine, genuine commitment to understanding Jesus as Savior and that He wants to be the Lord. We need to daily empty ourselves and be filled with the Holy Spirit because we don't have the ability or power or willpower. We need each other to support and encourage that in our marriages, in our families, in our church family. That's how we're going to make a difference. That's how we will be different. Don't point your finger at anybody else. That's not what this is about. This is about us. This is about a slow change in us. A trickle-down effect when we really begin to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we want to worship Him. And we want to be in His Word. And we want to be prayerful. And when we fail to repent, we want to be close to Him. And then the trickle-down effect that happens to our spouses because we love each other as Christ loved the church. And then our trickle-down effect with our family. God is a loving Father and how He treats His children. And the trickle-down effect of friends washing each other's feet. And the trickle-down effect to the culture that we become witnesses. It begins with us in our own walk with the Lord. That's what it begins with. We do not live in Never Never Land. We are not Peter Pan that we don't want to grow up. Because we're challenged to grow up into Him who is the head, who is Christ Jesus. And so we never stop growing. We're always willing to say, Lord, how can I grow in the knowledge and love of You? How can I be not a thermometer, but a thermostat in the household and in the community around us that I set the temperature because I love you and I want to love other people with your love. We've got to reverse the cycle of breaking bad. And we've got to live for Him and be His household in our homes, in this church, and in the world. Let us pray.
Lord God, it is so easy to compromise. So easy to get wrapped up in our own little world, building our own little empire. And maybe we're nothing like Walter White or cooking meth. But sometimes we find ourselves compromising and living unto our own empire and not for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would shower this place today with your Holy Spirit. Because we can't live as a Christian household without you. Lord, for those here who have never come to that knowledge of Jesus as Savior and Lord, that they would give their lives this day to you. Not as an emotional response. Not as a deal. Not intellectually, but willfully. And for all of us here, Lord, to empty ourselves of whatever would distract us, to cause us to compromise, that we might be your household, where you dwell, in our hearts in our homes, in this church. That we might be change agents for the world. Lord, I pray that we would be breaking good. Seek to walk with you. And grow in the knowledge and love of you. And to have your Holy Spirit penetrate our hearts and change our lives so that we might live your love. Lord, help us. Help us to live as your household. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.